Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Welcome to the Bread of the Word podcast, a podcast striving to feast on God's Word and let the Bible speak to us all. Let us, as a former generation said, go ad fontes to the fountain and be nourished and sustained by all that God is. Let's dig in together. Well, hello, and welcome back to yet another episode of the Bread of the Word podcast, where we go ad fontes to the fountain, to the Word of God, to be nourished and sustained by all that God is, as he's revealed himself to us. My name is Tyler, and we are continuing through the book of Job. And we'll be covering chapter 4 today. Uh, We're getting into the words of Job's friends. We were introduced to them last week, but now we get some of their their advice, their their counsel, and much of it is unhelpful to Job in his current predicament. And there's there's a lot of intense Hebrew poetry in the book of Job, and this is where it starts, is with the words of Eliphaz. The term, the the Temanite. So picking up in verse one of chapter four, then Eliphaz the Temanite replied, "Should anyone try to speak with you when you are exhausted, yet who can keep from speaking? Indeed, you have instructed many and have strengthened weak hands. Your words have steadied the one who was stumbling and braced the knees that were buckling. But now this has happened to you. You have become exhausted. It strikes you, and you are dismayed." Isn't your piety and your confidence and the integrity of your hope, of your life, your hope? Consider who has perished when he was innocent. Where have the honest been destroyed? In my experience, those who plow injustice and those who sow trouble reap the same. They perish at a single blast from God and come to an end by the breath of his nostrils. The lion may roar, but the fierce lion growl. But the teeth of young lions are broken. The strong lion dies if it catches no prey, and the cubs of the lionesses are scattered. A word was brought to me in secret. My ears caught a whisper of it. Among unsettling thoughts from visions in the night when deep sleep comes over men, fear and trembling came over me and made all my bones shake. I felt a draft on my face, and the hair on my body stood up. A figure stood there, but I could not recognize its appearance. A form loomed before my eyes. I heard a whispering voice. Can a mortal be righteous before God? Can a, ban- can a man be more pure than his maker? If God puts no trust in his servants, and he charges his angels with foolishness, how much more those who dwell in clay houses, whose foundations is in the dust, <clears throat> who are crushed like a moth. They are smashed to pieces from, dusk, from dawn to dusk, They perish forever while no one notices. Are their tent cords not pulled up? They die without wisdom. 
So there's a lot there. And a lot of what he says, like I said, is unhelpful. That this is basically Eliphaz has taken a shotgun and pointed it at Job's head. Which is not helpful at all in any se sense of the term. <clears throat> Essentially, what we have from jo from Eliphaz between chapters 4 and 5, which we'll get into next week. <coughs> what we have from Eliphaz is basically we have a, as one commentator put it, a useless sermon. We have something with a lot of truth in it, but it's misapplied. And it's applied in such a way that it offers no benefit. There's no profit from it. They're just they're, they're just words. And so he says a lot, most of which is not helpful. And so he starts off in something that sounds almost comforting. Should anyone try to speak with you when you are exhausted? As we saw in chapter 3, when Eliphaz and the other two sat with Job in silence for seven days. Should anyone try to speak with you when you are exhausted? Yet who can keep from speaking? Indeed, you have what instructed many and have strengthened weak hands. Your words have steadied the one who was stumbling and embraced the knees that were buckling. He's recognizing that Job has been a help to many people. He's been he has benefited others in his his words and his hands. But verse five, but now this has happened to you. You have become exhausted. It strikes you, and you are dismayed. So some, so we, you were, you were a good guy. You had all this stuff going for you. You were a benefit to us. You were, a, we, we, we delighted in you. But now this has happened, and you have become exhausted. And just looking at that, you might ask the question as to the motivations of Eliphaz in saying this. Is he <clears throat> is he motivated by being there for Job, or is he here because of what he might get from Job? Is the issue with Job suffering that Eliphaz is not benefiting from him anymore? I think that's a fair question. And much of what I see in chapter 4, um, again, comes back to this idea of counseling, the way we, we deal with hurting people. I'm, I'm not a certified biblical counselor by any extension of the term. I have read on the subject and have also been on the receiving end of bad counsel in Christian circles. <clears throat> and so I think one of the things that is illustrated to us by this dialogue is when counseling goes wrong, is when when people don't help, as Eliphaz does not help here. If anything, he's just stacking more on Job, but it gets worse. Verse 6, isn't your piety and your confidence and the integrity of your life your hope? Isn't Job's hope, his piety, his confidence, the integrity of his life? I would say no. And that's honestly one of the themes of Job is what is his hope? And I don't think that's it. What is the source of his hope? Is it just his his goodness? Is it his moral excellence? Or is it something deeper than that? And so I think Eliphaz is wrong here. 
I think he has the wrong outlook. And while we might see language like this in the Psalms, you also have Psalm 119, My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Revive me according to thy word. We have, I hope, in your word, and language like that all through the Psalms. This is how they, they pray, this is how they worshipped, noting that their hope wasn't in themselves. But Eliphaz seems to place the source of that hope on himself, on Job putting having hope in himself. And then he applies that to this present situation, that your hope is your piety, your confidence, your, your moral character. Now consider this. Verse 7. Who has perished when he was innocent? Where have the honest been destroyed? <clears throat> and so the question that Eliphaz poses is, did Job have this coming? Who has perished when he was innocent? Eliphaz is operating from a from a from an assumption about the way God operates. And this is where we get into some of the wisdom literature um, in theory. Because you have three books in what we call the wisdom books. Um, you have Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And Proverbs, uh, many of us are familiar, it's all these uh, cutesy little stories little statements that are kind of general that give us these general principles for I guess life in God's world and the general idea of Proverbs is this is typically how things operate the, the righteous are rewarded and the wicked are punished and that's the assumption that Eliphaz is operating from and what we get in Ecclesiastes is a bit of a reality check that uh, it doesn't always go that way because you have wicked kings and they profit from being wicked but the righteous are cast underfoot and likewise Job also is a bit of a reality check it's a different sort of reality check and I think I think Ecclesiastes gets a lot of I think Solomon gets a lot of his terminology from Job because I think Job was written much much earlier <clears throat> But once again, we have this, this tension between those two views of life under the sun. Are the righteous always rewarded or not? And can we balance the two? If we flip over to Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 1, Again, I observed all the acts of oppression being done under the sun. Look at the tears of those who are oppressed. They have no one to comfort them. Power is with those who oppress them. They have no one to comfort them. The, the great tragedy of oppression in the eyes of Solomon is a lack of comfort. There is no one to comfort them. And likewise, Job has no one to comfort him here. Because what we've got here is we have a new We have a new adversary. Well, we had the Satan. We had Satan, the, the accuser, in chapters 1 and 2. Now we have Eliphaz. He has multiple accusers now. He does not have a comforter in this dynamic. <clears throat> Verse 8, In my experience, says Eliphaz, those who plow injustice and those who sow trouble reap the same. They perish at a single blast from God and come to an end by the breath of his nostrils. 
The lion may roar and the fierce lion growl, but the teeth of young lions are broken. The strong lion dies and it, if it catches no prey, and the cubs of lion of lionesses are scattered. So now he's drawing from observing the world around him that this is my experience. This is what I see in the world is the wicked get what they deserve and the righteous are rewarded, which he's reinforcing this idea that we know that God orders all things and they and he's done so in such a way that the world is fair and just. So if you are experiencing this, if you are seeing adversity, it is because you deserve it, says Eliphaz. It is because you did something to deserve this. Verse 12, a word was brought to me in secret. Now we're getting into different territory. My eyes caught a whisper of it among unsettling thoughts for visions in the night when deep sleep comes over men. Fear and trembling came over me and made all my bones to shake. I felt a draft on my face and the hair of my body stood up. A figure stood there, but I could not recognize its appearance. A form loomed before my eyes and I heard a whispering voice. So essentially he just pulled out, God told me this, this, and this. And we can certainly, there's certainly room to discuss whether or not this is a true thing, but Eliphaz seems to base some of his counsel to Job on private revelation from God. Not only is it, is it his own experience, but it's also bringing in private revelation. And so in a sense, it's all experience. It's all, this is my experience. And there's a there's a place for sharing from experience, definitely. But Eliphaz is making claims about the way the world works on a metaphysical scale from his individual, personal, lived experience. And that's just, that's not how it is. That's, that's, a, that's not a meaningful standard because the world's more complicated than me. Verse 17, Again, putting a shotgun at Joe's face and seeing what happens. Verse 17, Can a mortal be righteous before God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? It's very easy for us to take that verse entirely out of context and use that to preach the gospel, use that in evangelism. Because we look at that as New Testament believers and say, Can a mortal be righteous before God? Of course not, because no one is righteous before God. We all need the imputed righteousness of Christ to be saved. That's not context here. That's not what Eliphaz means. What Eliphaz is implying is that every human being deserves what Job is experiencing. Because no mortal can be righteous before God. So the question again persists. Does, did Job have this coming? Is Job suffering because he's a sinner? Is Job suffering because he sinned to deserve this? Let's back up to Job chapter 2 for a moment. Job chapter 2, verse 3. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. He still retains his integrity, even though you incited me against him to destroy him for no good 
reason. I think the King James says, without cause. So right off the bat, we have to recognize that while Job is a sinner like the rest of us, he's also described as a righteous man. That he is a man who has received righteousness from God. He's been counted as righteous. He's partaking in sacrifices for his children, we see in chapter 1. That he is seeing the gospel presented to him. The power of God to save is being displayed through sacrifices. Through that transferring of things to the animal. That there are things that are preaching the gospel in the Old Testament to Job. But what's going on here is a little different because he's not suffering because he's a sinner. He's not suffering because he had this coming. He's not suffering because God just felt like throwing a lightning bolt at him. He's suffering for reasons we don't quite fathom. We're, he is suffering for reasons that, from our perspective, there aren't easy answers for. And that's something that his friends will be very slow to grasp. But right now, the assumption of Eliphaz, the second accuser, is that Job has earned this. <clears throat> Can a mortal be righteous before God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? If God puts no trust in his servants and he charges his angels with foolishness, how much more those who dwell in clay houses, whose foundation is the dust, who are crushed like a moth? That seems reminiscent of how Job's children died, because the house collapsed on them. And that feels almost like an unnecessary jab to me. But the, re the reality is, again, he's putting it all on Job. If God puts no trust in his servants, and he charges his fallen angels, that is, with foolishness, how much more for foolish people who live in clay houses, who build homes on dust. Says they are smashed to pieces from dawn to dusk. They perish forever while no one notices. Are their tent cords not pulled up? They die without wisdom. And possibly one of the, the tragic things about the book of Job is he's got some terrible friends. In this scenario, in this portion of the story, his friends are not helpful. His friends are honestly part of the problem. Now, I think in a sense, you could say that this is part of the sufferings of Job, is the people that stuck around. Because he lost his family. He lost his kids. Um, presumably, his wife is still around somewhere, but she made accusations. She said, curse God and die. Just go ahead and die. And we don't see her. We don't see her now. But we have Eliphaz, who has also set himself in the place of an accuser, of a Satan figure. And so Job is still isolated. He is still alone, in a very real sense. Like we saw earlier, where all the characters we had around were anonymous, were unnamed servants. Job was, in a very real sense, alone. But now he's alone, surrounded by people that are not helpful. He's surrounded by people that are accusing him of things he has not done. 
are assigning blame to him when he did nothing. And that's one of the great problems with Job, is that Job didn't do anything wrong for this to happen to him. This is not attached to the actions of Job. It's not attached to the character of Job, except that Job is a righteous man who escheweth God, who feareth God and escheweth evil. I missed that, messed that up the first time. Who feareth God and escheweth evil. That is the, that's the backdrop here. So as far as Job involvement goes, that's where it ends, is with the fact that Job is a righteous man who feareth God and escheweth evil. He didn't deserve this. He didn't earn this. This is not the wages of his sin. This is something bigger. Something more complicated. And so the question that I'm left with <clears throat> at the end of chapter 4, as I look at this from the standpoint of counseling gone wrong from the standpoint of friends who are per giving you a lot of words but nothing of use and as somebody who has been in a scenario of church hurt of having to work through being hurt by a pastor hurt by a church how do you how do you work through that and in my experience with working through it I came to a point where I had to ask the question if I could go back and make everything the way I want it, if I could take that situation and I could bend the fabric of reality and make everything perfect and just and fair by my own standard, what would I change? If I could have what I want, what would it be? Because to answer that question, I have to know what I want. And so here, I would apply that same question. What should Eliphaz have said? What should Eliphaz have done in chapter 4 if I could go back and bend reality and make this perfect and just and fair by my own standard? What would I have Eliphaz to say? If somebody came to me experiencing what Job experienced, what counsel would I have for them? To what wisdom would I hearken? How would I ease the day that has been darkened? By reminding them that there is a God who has revealed himself to us in the day as well as the night. Turn with me to Psalms 34. <clears throat> we consider the words of David in the darkness. Picking up in verse 4. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and rescued me from all of my fears. Though those who look to him are radiant with joy, their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he rescues them. The, I think the best thing that Eliphaz could have said, when God doesn't make sense, when none of this makes sense, when 
Job is in the deepest possible pain when I have sat and listened to him curse the day he was born. I think the only thing I could say worthwhile would be seek the Lord. The same God who met with Moses in darkness is the same God that John describes as being light. God is light, and in him there is no darkness. But God communes with us in the good and the bad. When we are happy as a clam, and when we are cursing the day we are born, God communes with us. So let us serve, let us seek the Lord. Verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy, other translations say, blessed is the person who takes refuge in him. You who are his holy ones, fear the Lord. For those who fear him lack nothing. Young lions lack food and go hungry. But those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. And that may not seem to be true about Job right now. But God has not left Job. God has not left Job in the dust. You, you just need to figure this out on your own now. Guy's right there. And as friend after friend after friend becomes an accuser to Job... God is still there. God is still good. There's that there's a spot much later in the book of Job where he will actually say, Though he slay me, I will praise him. Because while young lions lack food, the young, the strong, the, the self sufficient in independent creatures still go hungry if they lack food. But young lions grow, grow up to be bigger lions. Those who seek the Lord shall also not lack any good thing. Verse 11, Come children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is someone who desires life? loving a long life to enjoy what is good. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. That last verse in Job chapter 2, in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Turn away from evil and do what is good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry for help. Notice, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, but they also need help which implodes this idea that Job wouldn't be suffering if he was righteous like he said he was. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry for help. 
The face of the Lord is set against those who do what is evil, to remove all memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and rescues them from all of their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted, and he saves those crushed in spirit. One who is righteous has many adversities, but the Lord rescues them from them all. He protects all of his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil brings death to the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be punished. But the Lord redeems the life of his servants, and all who take refuge in him will not be punished. See, what I would leave Job with, if I were Eliphaz, I would think that I would go somewhere like that. I would exhort him to seek the Lord. The Lord who didn't go anywhere. Despite the fact that I just spent the last day cursing my birth, God didn't go anywhere. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I once heard that that in Greek contains a quintuple negative. And it quite literally comes out to, I will never, never, never leave thee. And I will never, never forsake thee. That is the God of Job. And that is the God we know. That is the God who has revealed himself to us through the person of Christ. It's the God who never leaves Because God is patient. God is kind. God is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Right? That, that's about love. But quite literally, the word is agape. It is divine love. It is the love that starts with God. God does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love is always faithful, always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. This is the God we know. And last, let's look at James chapter 5, which is also relevant in the subject of suffering. James is thought to have been one of possibly the first New Testament book to be written. It's very early, very early. actually predates the writing of the Gospels, written a little by a little bit. But James 5.14 says the prayer... Sorry. Five thirteen, Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Other translations say he should sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Likewise, what should he do? He should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So what is the church supposed to do when people are sick? Just pray. The elders are to gather and pray. Five... 
chapter verse 15 the prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up if he has committed sins that's if he has committed sins it's not he's sick because he's sinned but if there is sin it will be forgiven why because the prayer of faith will save therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect the King James just says it so much better that the prayer of a righteous person availeth much I don't think you can get better than that there's just something poetic about it that I just love but the prayer of a righteous person availeth much Elijah was a human being as we are and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and for three years and six months it did not rain in the land then he prayed again and the sky gave rain and the land produced its fruit my brothers and sisters if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins and what we have here is a picture of the church locking arms in prayer sometimes there's sin sometimes there's suffering sometimes there's sickness sometimes there's error but the church comes to pray. Church locks arms with one another. And I think that is closer to what Eliphaz should have done, the, the person that Eliphaz should have been in Job chapter 4. He should have been an advocate, not an accuser. And likewise, we all have an advocate before God through the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father, teaches us all things, empowers us to live the life that we couldn't live, empowers us to walk in the things of God, to walk with God, to commune with God. So likewise, let us be advocates. Let us join arms with one another. Let us pray. Let us sing psalms. Let us be brothers and sisters, as James describes. <laughs>